that you heard someone speaking, or you received an email or a message, and the first thing that came through your mind was, this is too good to be true. Maybe it was the price of something, or maybe, maybe it was a great discount, or an offer, and you're just, first response, this is too good to be true. Well, this happened to me in July of 2016. Jessica and I were living in St. Louis when I was in seminary, and I received this email. It was during a time that I had just be, been reintroduced to cycling, and a few months prior, I had entered this drawing for this new bicycle, a brand new Pinarello Gone. The drawing was through a cycling magazine called Peloton Magazine. The only thing is, it seemed, it, it didn't cost me anything to enter this drawing, right? I wasn't going to think twice about it. As soon as they sent me the first email, I was going to delete it and unsubscribe. It cost me nothing. But then it happened. I received that one email. This is what the title read. You won a new Pinarello gone. And I didn't believe it. My first thought, nope, it's spam. There's no way that I could ever have won something like this. So I hesitantly clicked on this email. This is the message that I read inside. Tyler, today is your lucky day. This is good, too good to be true, right? Your name was drawn as the winner of the Pinarello. If you could send me your mailing address, phone number, social media accounts, and bike size, I will follow up with you. Next thought I had, why didn't he ask for my bank account and social security number, right? This is too good to be true. A $3,000 bike I had just won for giving someone my email address. So I weighed my options. And I sent a replying email. Adam, if this is spam, give me your phone number. He quickly responded, giving me his phone number and said, call me and I'll get all your information. I couldn't dial fast enough. I had really won a brand new bike. Now, I don't have that bike anymore because I drove into the garage and destroyed it because it was on top of my van. But I had really won, I had really won a brand new bike. This was too good to be true. As we come to this passage this morning, if you're reading this for your first time, or maybe you're reading this for your 100th time, we face the same dilemma of looking at this message that Jesus is risen from the grave and believing this is too good to be true. Because in the 28th chapter of Matthew's gospel account, we hear the good news of the gospel. Jesus has been raised by the power of God, and the tomb is empty. And here's the problem. Even back then, just like we face today, we're tempted to not believe it. And as we will see, there will be some who outright deny it. And some doubt might be caused because we just don't have 
enough faith. But other doubt can be caused merely because we are sinful people. And whether we're convinced through philosophy or theology, what we face this morning is the same thing that Paul said in the first Corinthians. This morning, we look at what is first importance to our faith. Scottish minister Eric Alexander reminds us this Easter morning. In Matthew's gospel, we find exactly the same historical record that we were dealing with in the birth, life, death of Jesus Christ. The gospels are in a historical document. They are not philosophical documents that treat us to some idea of who Jesus might have been. They are historical doc documents which give us the historical record of his birth, his suffering, his teaching, his death, his cross, and his resurrection from the grave. So we are not speaking about some idea this morning. No, we are speaking of a literal, physical, bodily resurrection. Nothing less than that holds true to what the Bible teaches. Nothing less than that gives us any hope for the future. So I want us to consider three questions this morning. I want us to ask ourselves, what has led me to believe? If you believe in this gospel, if you believe in Jesus Christ, why do you? The second question what has led you to not believe? If you have questions, if you do not believe in the story of Jesus, why? And thirdly, I want to ask, whether you agree in the affirmative to either of the first two questions, where do we go from here? Because what I hope to show you this morning is that there is no middle ground. There is either belief in Jesus or unbelief in Jesus? Let us look at this first question. What has led you to believe? In this passage, we are given eyewitness testimony of the risen Christ. But before we even get to the testimony of the women who went, we actually have an angelic being. This is what we're told in verse 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes white as snow. The angel is there announcing the great glory of God that has come to his people. And this isn't the first time in Matthew's gospel we're introduced to angels. Where we see angels come and proclaim he will be born of the virgin. Luke's gospel tells us he also went to Zechariah and Elizabeth and to Mary and to the shepherds. But isn't it interesting, the angel presents what we see in the text as truth. But the angel isn't carrying a message of his truth. He is carrying a message from God himself. There is nothing in here that is true of just because the angel said it. It is true because God has revealed it as true. 
And I want us to look at five things that the angel has said. The first thing he said, do not be afraid. And it's interesting, he only said that to the women. For we're told, the angel said to the women, why shouldn't be they be afraid? An angel has just come down from heaven and caused an earthquake. But the reason the angel tells him not to be afraid is because he did not come to them to bring judgment. He came to bring them the message of grace. The angel came from heaven to proclaim them the good news, Jesus is alive. But this is also implies for the guards who are there, they should be afraid. And they were. For they fell down as though they were dead. This angel, who has been so close to God himself, radiates his glory. And those who do not know God should fall in fear. It's very interesting in our call to worship. This is the exact same response we see from John as he saw a vision of God in heaven. And he said, I fell as though I was dead. This is the proper response humans should have to God himself. We should fall as though dead. But the angel tells the women, do not fear. Because it is those who trust in this God who have nothing to fear. This fear is a reverence. The fear that the Bible teaches about that is the beginning of all wisdom is knowing our place before this holy God. For John tells us in his epistle, that fear has to do with punishment. But the fear that these women had of God was a fear that love casts out because they know God and they love God. When God sends his messengers, his messengers give their word and fear is vanquished. And this is what Jesus confirms later in verse 10 when he said, do not fear. The second thing the angel said, he is risen. He is verifying and proclaiming God has acted. For God is not the God of the dead. He is the God of the living. And on that first Easter morning, a supernatural event had come into the natural world, and the angelic messenger of God came to proclaim God has moved today in history. This is the implication. It is because of God that Jesus is not dead. It is because of God. The good news of the gospel comes. You are no longer in your sin. Because God has proven faithful. For he has done exactly what he promised he would do in raising Jesus 
from the dead. He promised he would send a Messiah who would save his people. This message from the angel is fact. Jesus is risen. Meaning, if Jesus is risen, we have great hope. Because if, if Christ is risen from the dead, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 19, he is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He's the first fruits, meaning there will be others that fall after him. And this is our great hope of the resurrection. Because Jesus rose from the dead, he will also raise us from the dead on the last day. So the angel said, do not fear. The angel said, he has risen. And the angel said, as he said, he is not here, for he has risen, as Jesus said. There are five times in Matthew's gospel that Jesus predicted he was going to die and raise on the third day. And this is what we see in Deuteronomy 18. How do we know that a prophet is from God? He will speak in the name of the Lord, and what he speaks will come true. The angel is proclaiming from God, Jesus is the prophet I promised to send, who is greater than Moses. Everything he has said is now verified. Because everything he has said is true. Jesus said he had come to ransom many from their sins. That is true because he is God's prophet. Because everything he said at the resurrection was proven. He is the one sent from God. The fourth thing the angel said, look and see. Come and see the place where Jesus lay. The angel, as many commentators point out, did not move this large stone away from the tomb so that Jesus could get out. He moved the tomb so that the women could go in and see. That their faith might become sight. He is not here. A few weeks ago, I preached on 1 Corinthians 15. And I, then I said... Jesus' body not being there isn't evidence, because that's actually lack of evidence. So what is the evidence that Jesus is alive? It's the testimony of the Father who sent his messenger. When were you not afraid to go into the tomb of the dead? When are you not afraid of death itself. When the message of the Lord tells you, do not fear, go in and look. Why were the women able to go in? Because God told them to. And he told them not to fear. This is the good news of the gospel. This is why we can say with Paul, O oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is in the law. And it has been vanquished by Christ. 
The angel said, do not fear. The angel said, he is risen. The angel said, as he said, the angel said, look and see. And the angel then said, go. If this has happened, if this is truly what has happened, go. Spread the truthfulness of what has happened to Jesus. Our Savior is alive. And again, this is something that Jesus verifies. Jesus shows up to them as they are going to tell the disciples, and he says, do not be afraid. Go and tell your brothers. And however, we will see something very similar in the Great Commission. The fundamental aspect of going and telling about Jesus isn't the going. It's making the disciples in the name of the triune God who just rose Jesus out of the dead, out of the grave. This is true for the women, this is true for the disciples, and this is true for us today. If you say you believe in the gospel, these are the reasons why you should. This message isn't too good to be true because it's all based upon the grace and the mercy of our great God. The message that on dawn, that first Easter morning, When the sun rose to remove the darkness of night, God began a new age where he removed the darkness and death and sin out of our lives and inaugurated a new life in us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is our testimony. This is our great hope. This is what we believe in Christ resurrected. Yet in the story, we find two different types of people who do not believe. And this is the theme throughout all of the Gospels. There are those who do not believe in Jesus. One type of disbelief leads to a false witness. And this is what we see with the guards. As though they were dead, Some commentators said that they fainted. But if they fainted, then they would not be able to reply what the angel has done. And we are actually told that they went to the chief priests and said to them all that had taken place. They bore witness about the angel. They said the angel's message. They told of the actions of the women. Yet these historical facts... Yet these truths that came from God, instead of causing them to believe, caused them to bear false testimony. Isn't it interesting? This is the same false testimony that we're told of in Matthew chapter 27. For they put the guards where they were, for they said, Therefore order the tomb that it should be made secure until the third day. Least his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people, He has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. What they were trying to stop from happening becomes their very testimony. Go tell people that the disciples stole his body. If this wasn't so evil, it would be funny. The great irony that these evil powers who try to usurp 
the message and the story of the gospel were put on their head. And these leaders reveal their sinister hearts. For it is evil that says the truth is a lie. It is evil that tries to hide truth. It's evil to call God a liar. And this is exactly what they're doing. Not only that, but Jesus gave them exactly what they demanded. For in his trial, they said, come down from the cross and we will believe. And Jesus prophesied in Matthew 12, you will receive no sign but this, that just like Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so will the Son of Man be there three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus gave them exactly what they demanded. He proved he was who he said he was, and yet they still did not believe. This is what lies do to us. This is what sin does to us. It covers our eyes. It hinders our faith. If this describes you, if you truly do not believe in the gospel, your testimony isn't neutral. You, desire, you deny the truthfulness of God himself, and you are calling God a liar. Lastly, we hear of another type of unbelief. It wasn't just the authorities who didn't believe in Jesus. We read of others in verse 17. The disciples. The twelve. When Jesus appeared to them, it says, when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Matthew gives us the names of these twelve. It's Simon, Peter and Andrew, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Thomas, and Matthew, and the other James, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot. That day, when Jesus finally appeared to the eleven, some of the eleven apostles doubted in Jesus. Now, some commentators are trying to say, oh, they didn't really doubt. It was just some, something that happened. But in John's gospel, we read of this doubt. This doubt of Thomas when he says, unless I see the hands and mark the nails with my finger, I will never believe. If this describes you, someone who doubts, I want to say two things simultaneously. First, Maybe you aren't trying to read the gospel narrative. Maybe you're not trying to make God to be a liar. But I want you to hear this. Doubt is part of our fallen nature. To have little faith 
doesn't mean you're unsavable. Your salvation does not your salvation does not depend upon the amount of your faith. It is not based upon how much faith you have on a particular day. Your salvation is based upon Christ alone and the power of God. If you believe that Jesus is alive, your sins are forgiven. Second, however, it is also true that Jesus often rebuked his disciples for their little faith, for having doubt. And as my professor in seminary, David Chapman, has said, it appears likely that these passages about doubt and little faith appear throughout Matthew in order to call the readers to examine themselves as their own faith stance towards Christ. Certainly Jesus, while rebuking his followers for little faith, did not reject them, but graciously kept on instructing them to the very end of the gospel. Nevertheless, Matthew is determined to move followers of Jesus of little faith into great faith like the disciples. But do you know what we know is true about these 12 disciples? You know what the history tells us about those who doubted Jesus when he appeared to them? They did not, they did not remain in their doubt. For all 11 apostles became missionaries. It was upon these 11 apostles that founded the church that is expanding over the globe. We have great testimony of their faith. It was after Easter that their doubt slipped away. However slowly, however quickly, the Spirit revealed to them the truth of Jesus Christ, who he was, who he had done, and what he is now currently doing as the king of the world. So that brings us to our last question. Where do we go from here? If you're part of the first group, this morning, this message should be full of assurance for you. God is not a liar. He is faithful. He is just and has forgiven us for our unrighteousness, not based upon anything we have done, but based on the righteousness of Christ himself. And we should do the exact same thing that the women did and the exact same thing that the disciples do fall at his feet and worship him. Just as the Magi did when they were introduced to the Savior of the world, we are called to worship our King. If you identify with the second group, I warn you. Because it might seem that there's two tiers, right? There's, the, those, there's those who bear false testimony, and then there's those who just doubt. But as I said earlier, there's only two groups. You either believe or you don't believe. If you remain outside of Christ, you remain in your sins. And on that great day when our Savior returns, it will be too late. Believe in the gospel. Believe. 
based upon evidence that Jesus is alive. Repent and be baptized. Receive all of the promises that are offered you in our risen Savior. Make our story, this church's story, your story. That sometimes our faith is weak. If there's a member here that says their faith is never weak, they're lying to you. But it doesn't end there. Because when our faith is weak, that's when we come to Jesus and say, I believe, help my unbelief. We, don't, we do not remain in our doubt. Nor do we believe that the gospel leaves us in our doubt. But the gospel reminds us of our great need of a Savior who loves us and gave himself up for us and who is faithful and true because he rose from the dead. Do you know what is the most fundamental part about our faith? It's not the strength or depth or width or height, amount or even the power of our faith. It all depends upon Jesus. It's about God, what God has promised to do through Jesus, the Savior of the world. This is our story. Believe and make it your story. Our story is one that our God reigns because he is alive. And you know what? We are not afraid. Because we know that we are not alone. For God gives us the great promise, I am with you always to the end of the age. We don't speak of an authority based upon ourselves. We speak just as the angels do and just as the apostles do. We speak of the message of the most powerful God, the creator of heaven and earth. We are not afraid. Christ is here this morning. He's alive. It's not too good to be true. He's alive. Christ is here this morning. Come and see his body and drink of his blood and do not be afraid. Christ 